Hello, I'm Brian Tracy, and I'm happy to say that I've written 90 books over the years and produced more than a thousand audio and video programs. And now I'm here with my friend, Ash Roy, and we're talking about this. And what I find is that he knows more stuff than I do. <laughs> and uh, so it is a great pleasure to be uh, with Ash, and you will find it's a great pleasure for you to be with Ash as well. Welcome to the Productive Insights Podcast, where you can learn how to systemize, automate, and scale your business via the internet. To access previous episodes and useful productivity tips, go to www.productiveinsights.com. Now, here's your host, Ash Roy. Welcome back to the Productive Insights Podcast. This is Ash Roy. I'm the founder of ProductiveInsights.com and the host of the Productive Insights Podcast. And I'm delighted to introduce you to our latest guest today, and that is Brian Tracy. Brian Tracy is a top-selling author of over 70 books that have been translated into dozens of languages. His most recent book is called Eat That Frog for Students, 22 Ways to Stop Procrastinating and Excel in School. Brian has consulted to more than a thousand companies, addressed more than 5 million people in 5,000 talks. As a keynote speaker and a seminar leader, he addresses more than 250,000 people each year. He speaks to corporate and public audiences and speaks on the subjects of personal and professional development. He also speaks to executives and staff in many of America's largest corporations. He speaks four languages is happily married and has four children. So I'm delighted to welcome Brian Tracy from briantracy.com. And we are going to talk about his new book called Eat That Frog for Students, 22 Ways to Stop Procrastinating and Excel in School. Welcome to the Productive Insights Podcast, Brian. Thank you very much for having me. I'm delighted to be back in Australia. Uh, <laughs> I've traveled all over the country. I've spoken in every major city and several minor cities. I have so many friends in Australia. And well, so it's, it's a delight to, it's a delight to be with you. Well, Brian, I've been reading your books for a long time now and I find them to be very useful. I actually specifically enjoyed your earlier book called Eat That Frog 21 Great Ways to Stop Procrastinating and Get More Done in Less Time. It was a simple and quick read. So, could you start by explaining to our listeners and viewers if you're watching on YouTube, uh, you can access this episode at ProductiveInsights.com forward slash YouTube. Uh, could you explain to our listeners what you mean when you say eat that frog and why it's important to all of us for those who are not initiated, who haven't heard that term, eat that frog before? Many years ago, I'm a voracious student. I read uh, at least three hours a day. I've, I've wow. studied and, and written and researched 150,000 hours in the course of my life. And many years ago, I came across a story from Mark Twain. And Mark Twain was the most successful professional speaker and author of his time. He was wealthy and respected and he filled rooms and he was entertaining and funny. And uh, he came up with this little one-liner. He said uh, in traveling, he, he, he'd written a couple of books on frogs. He said, what I learned is that the first thing you do in the morning is you eat a live frog you'll have the satisfaction of knowing that that's probably the worst thing that could happen to you all day long. <laughs> and then he said, and there are two corollaries to this law. One is that if you have two live frogs to eat, eat the ugliest one first. And, uh, and, and then his second recommendation was, 
if you have to eat a frog at all, it doesn't pay to sit and look at it for very long. Uh, <laughs> so this, this was, and I read it many, many years ago. And uh, when I was writing my book on time management, I got a call from my publisher. He said, uh, do you have a book that you could suggest to us? And I said, well, one subject that's always popular is time management. And I worked with salespeople. And I had a book called 21 Great Ways to Double Your Sales and uh, Double Your Time Off. And I sent it to him and he said, oh, well, it's, it's okay, but it's, we need to, to focus it. I like chapter 15 with that eat that frog idea. If you could take that up and make it the theme that runs through the whole book, that might work. So I said, okay, when you are a writer and you want to get published, you always say, yes, okay, right away, <laughs> sir, whatever, whatever you want. Um, because their publisher is, is, is going to take a tremendous risk, spend enormous amount of time and money to promote a book. And so you really have to work with them. Uh, and so I took it all back and I rewrote the whole book as Eat That Frog, 21 Great Ways to Stop Procrastinating and get more things done faster. And Ash, I tell you, it must have hit a nerve because we thought it would sell a few thousand copies sort of as a, a sideways book. And it started to sell and sell and sell and sell. And that was about 12 years ago, 12, 13 years ago. We have now sold almost 3 million copies in 51 languages. It is the best-selling book on time management in the history of the world which makes me the best authority on time management in the world. And I wrote it sort of on the side. I was busy working in sales and management and, and marketing and strategic planning and everything else. And so I wrote this book quickly and sent it off to the publisher and got back to my real work. Well, now here we have the real work, if you like, and eat that frog for students. We started to think, you know, since this is so popular for adults, who have uh, jobs, what is another big market? And, and the answer was students, because there's millions of students working their way through school and college and, and so on. And they're overwhelmed with too much to do and too little time and they're a lot of stress. And if they miss the boat, if they don't get into the right schools, they don't get the right grades, then it will hurt them for the rest of their lives. Yes. So uh, in uh, conjunction, with our co-editor, Anna Leinberger, uh, who works with my publisher, Barrett Kohler, we uh, rewrote the book. And we decided that we would not just simply throw in a little bit of change per chapter. We would rewrite the whole book and right. take every, every chapter and rewrite it so it was really focused on students and what students need mm -hmm. to succeed. Right. And, uh, and we did, and the book has come out, and it turned out absolutely great. One of the things that I love to talk about, in life, each person has turning points. Mm -hmm. And the turning points are something that occurs that you had not expected, and you change the direction of your life, and you go in a different direction, and you never come back. Right. And uh, this has happened to you, it happens to me. We mm -hmm. go to a party in the evening, and on the other side of the room, there's a person standing there, and our eyes hit, the eyes meet, and we end up marrying that person and having children and living with them for the rest of their lives. By the way, an interesting point is they said that if their eyes do not meet, 
at the first moment of contact with that other person, it will never happen. Wow. Whenever I mention that, everybody sort of looks back on their, their own marriage, their own wedding, and they remember. Everybody remembers that moment when they met, when their eyes met across a crowded room, which happened for me, or calling on a company or, or something. There was that instant connection. And, and Khalil Gibran, uh, that wonderful great, writer said- Great book. Yeah. Yes, and, and, yes and, and he says in, in that, he said, talk to us of love. And he says, if the moment of love does not occur, at that first moment of meeting, it will never occur. If you read Khalil, um, you'll remember that. It's just a wonderful thing because you remember. Anyway, it's the same thing in life. You, yes. have, you have turning points. And yes. one of the turning points is the course that you take. There's an incredible story. Warren Buffett, now one of the richest men in the world, he went to university, as I understand, in Columbia, and he um, wanted to take history. He wanted to be a, a teacher. And the course was all filled up. And the only thing he could take was a course on finance, teaching Ben Graham's methods of investing. And so he had no choice. So he took that course instead and fell in love with investing and uh, became easily the most successful investor. Or Steve Jobs when he dropped into his calligraphy classes. Yes. Yes, exactly. So you, so it's, it's, it was a turning point and it's completely unexpected, but when you turn, there's a, there's a beautiful line from Robert Frost, the poet, and he said, two roads diverged in a wood. Yes. And knowing I could not travel both and be one traveler, long I stood and looked down the one to where it turned in the undergrowth then took the other that was just as fair and perhaps more deserving because it wanted where. He said, and I shall be telling this with a sigh years and years hence that two roads diverged in a wood and I, I took the one less traveled by hmm. and that has made all the difference. You know, there's, there's a great book called The Road Less Traveled, which is also a great read, but it's on a slightly different topic. I just wanted to mention that what you call those turning points, I think of them as points of inflection. The founder, I think, of Intel had written a book around inflection points and talked about that in a corporate sense. So I definitely agree with you. Points of inflection are critical, and those points of inflection require our focus. I just want to mention that a lot of our listeners are business owners and often parents. So this book might be very useful to their children who are probably going through homeschooling at the moment, if you're living in the United States, given the pandemic and so on. So this book is very relevant to your children. I dare say it's relevant to anybody who reads it because you share some great principles in the earlier book, Eat That Frog, which I believe are probably repeated in this book as well, one of which is thinking on paper. And I really like that. And I'm actually writing notes down as we speak on paper. And I, I've always been right. There we go. Yeah. So, so there's something, Brian, about, in my experience, about physically handwriting stuff. It appears to engage a different part of the brain. And for that reason, I bought the latest iPad Pro where I can handwrite stuff and then it can convert into text. The act of handwriting as opposed to typing. 
somehow creates a certain sense of urgency and agency, which we'll touch on in a couple of moments. Can you talk to us a little bit about your views on thinking on paper? You actually talk about this in your earlier book. And I think it's very important for our listeners to understand. Well, Ash, I'm so glad you brought that up because it is one of those turning points when I, what I'm going to explain to you is, is a life changer uh, for me and for other people. And it's something happens the, the, between the head and the hand that is almost a, a miracle. And you can never get that, as you say, from typing. It comes from writing. And so what I do in almost all of my seminars I have people take a page of paper and write down 10 goals that they'd like to accomplish in the next 12 months and then select one goal, the goal that can have the greatest impact on all the others and focus on that one goal. Don't try to achieve everything. Focus on the single goal and I explain how to organize it and so on. Because here's what happens when you write a goal, it's like programming it into your subconscious mind. And your subconscious mind, sort of like a team of computer operators, then hands it over to your superconscious mind. Yes. And your your superconscious mind has been discovered for more than and talked about for more than four thousand years. Very few people know about it, but once you study and you obviously understand the superconscious mind, you're in a way never the same again. Yes. Because you understand. And what I have discovered, which was like a miracle to me is that when you write down a goal, you're actually writing it into your superconscious mind. Wow, Then that's powerful then, as an idea. Yes, and, and what that means is that your superconscious mind takes that goal and begins to work on the goal 24 hours a day. Right. You, can just go, you can just go about your life, but things will start to change. And I remember when I was poor and living on the floor of a friend's one-room apartment, and I was reading a magazine article, and it said, if you want to be successful, you have to have goals. So I took a scrap of paper, and I wrote down 10 goals. And I promptly lost both the magazine and the list of goals. But in the next 30 days, my whole life changed. Right. My goals were to increase my sales, increase my income, have my own place to live, have a fixed salary, and so on. And every single goal, I forgot the goal. I lost the paper, but they all just came true. And I, I remember, I said, there's something going on here because uh, here I was uh, lost, alone, knocking on doors, living uh, from day to day and so on. And then I wrote down the goals and my whole life started to change. So and Brian, do you I, recommend writing your goals down each day? Would that make yes. it even better? I found that there were thousands of uh, business, small business owners who were struggling. And when things were booming, you could do anything and be successful but they uh, were now struggling. And I also realized that these business owners may have, did not know key business concepts like, like strategic planning and personal effectiveness. So I started a course and I gave it for seven years and I trained more than a thousand business owners and I uh, could only get them to attend if I unconditionally guaranteed that they would double their income and double their time off. It was a one-year course. Every three months you came, spent a full day with me and a group of others, 20 or 30 others, and you worked together and discussed and wrote down and worked out a plan for the next 90 days. I'm sorry, next 90 days. And after 90 days, you came and reviewed your, your progress. 
Well, I had to give a, a guarantee that they would double their income and double their time off. So I said, in my first day, I said, I want to introduce you to your new best friend. Yeah. And your new best friend is a spiral notebook. So people would take this and I would have them write out 10 goals uh, that they wanted to accomplish uh, sometime in the next 12 months. These are not 50-year goals. These are sort of one-year goals because according to the psychology, if it's a year away, uh, it's not far, close enough to be motivational and far enough to be challenging. And so some of the goals were, were, were one-month goals. Some of the goals were three-month goals, but basically 10 goals. And I said, for the next 30 days, I want you to pick up your workbook and every day write down 10 goals. The next day, turn the page and without looking at your previous page, yeah. write down 10 goals again. And write down. And so don't, in other words, you're not just copying from day to day. Right. You're rewriting from memory. And this rewriting from memory, what will happen is the description of your goals will change. Okay. Because you won't remember. And the order of priority of your goals will change. Okay. And you'll keep doing this. And in 30 days, your life will have changed forever. If you've got half a brain, just do it every day. It takes three to five minutes for you to quickly write down your 10 goals. And you, and, and you will start to achieve the goals. I mean, you will start to achieve and replace them with other goals. At the end of a month, your whole life will have taken this rapid change. Right. And at the end, end of a year, you'll be a different person. You'll be, you'll be earning more money than you ever dreamed possible. You will be accomplishing goals you never thought. You'll be meeting people. And your superconscious mind is going to be working and attracting and drawing all of these forces and people and ideas into your life. Most amazing thing. And you'll have more turning points. And the more you feed your mind with ideas, the more likely it is you're going to have great ideas. That's great. So speaking of goals, Brian, Let's talk a little bit about achieving the goals and compulsion to closure. I really like that, which you talk about. Compulsion to closure, I think, is a very important approach, especially in today's world where we're bombarded with tons of distractions. And a lot of us start things but don't complete them. We're spending a lot of energy on half-completed projects. So what's your advice for somebody who tends to start lots of projects but doesn't finish them? Well, one of the things that, that I've learned, I call it single-minded uh, focusing, is that your ability to focus single-minded on one thing is essential. And in order to do that, you must discipline yourself not to do something else. So, for example, I speak French, German, and Spanish. You mentioned that. And I learned them over the years in traveling. I could read it and read them and write them and speak them. And when I lived in those countries, I was quite competent at the languages. But then I made a mistake. I thought, I love languages. I think I'll work on Russian and Chinese. And Russian and Chinese for an English-speaking person are the hardest languages of all to learn. I thought, well, I'd learn them both. And what happens is you just sort of burn out, fuse out, you know, because you cannot learn two languages at once. You cannot learn two subjects at once. What you have to do is you just have to pick one and work on it and excel. And, and, and this single focus, what happens is you move faster towards your goals and the actual movement towards your goals motivates you and excites you. It makes you more positive to uh, move forward 
and then you achieve more of your goals, but you achieve them one at a time. So everywhere you look, you see examples of the single focus of focusing on one goal, one target, and then disciplining yourself to work only on that until it's done yeah. and refusing, refusing to do anything else except that one thing until it's complete. If you can discipline yourself to do this, soon it becomes a habit. Goethe, yeah. the German philosopher, uh, said, everything is hard before it's easy. Yes. And yeah. he's speaking especially about habits. Aristotle said that success then is a matter of habit. It's, it's a matter of developing the success habits so that you do them automatic. And, and Goethe said, everything is hard before it's easy, but then it becomes automatic and yeah. easy. So it's, it becomes actually easier to do them than not to do them. Brian, you know, I interviewed James Clear, the author of Atomic Habits on episode yeah. 175, and it was a wonderful conversation. James has done some really good work in this area. One of the things that he said that struck me was your environment has a big impact on what habits you perform and what ones you don't. So for example, if you want to watch less TV, don't have your lounge facing the TV, have it facing away from the TV. Simple, right? You want to check your phone less often, have your Facebook app about three levels deep inside your phone. Don't have it on the first screen, have it on the sixth screen. So you're increasing friction to access. And these are simple ways in which you can rearrange your environment to incentivize or disincentivize certain behaviors. That was a really good conversation. And another really useful one was with Perry Marshall, who wrote a book called 80-20 Sales and Marketing. Essentially, the 80-20 rule also is relevant here because 20% of our effort delivers 80% of our results. But if you take that one level further, 20% of 20% is 4% and 80% of 80% is 64. So 4% of your effort delivers 64% of your results. And then further still, 0.8% of your effort delivers 51.2% of your results and on and on it goes. It's fractal, right? So it's very important to not get caught up in the whole multitasking thing. I personally don't believe in multitasking. I believe in single tasking and I believe in approaching things in a serialized way. Now, that doesn't mean to say we don't have multiple projects running at once. That does happen. It's unavoidable to an extent. But give yourself completely to the task at hand. And this is where I believe something like a mindfulness practice is very valuable because when you operate from an area of centeredness and you operate from an area of intention and purity, you achieve more. I've always believed that true freedom lies in complete commitment to one goal. The paradox of choice is a trap Having too many options is actually quite debilitating. I'm totally with you there. Just before you ask your question, I've uh, read all the books of the two writers that you just talked about, and I've been writing about them for more than 20 years. Um, The idea of the 80-20 rule and then the 4% uh, rule and so on. But uh, uh, one of the things that I read in a book on, just focused on single-minded, it said that there's no such thing as multitasking, there is only task shifting. Yes. And, yes. and so what you do is you are shifting, and then you have to shift back. And if you're working on a task, it takes an average of 17 minutes to shift back. And Spot get on. Back. Yes. 
And so I just love what you just said, because it's so important. Yeah. And Todd Herman, I'm stretching my memory here, but I think episode 176, Todd Herman talks about this exact thing, which is context switching. And context switching is one of the biggest enemies of productivity. What you just described when you're switching from one task to the other, he actually talks about it in one of his courses or something, where if you're working on, say, one project, say you're 80% effective, but if you're working on two projects at a time, it drops to something like 60% or something like that. And then three projects, it drops to something like 20% because of that requirement to switch back and forth. And exactly as you said, it costs you time in switching from one task to another. So my next two questions for you, Brian, are how does one then develop a sense of urgency and momentum? And I think the answer already is part of it is be focused on one task. But how do you develop a sense of urgency and momentum to achieve these goals that you talk about, these 10 goals you write about each day. And if there's one specific action you would like to leave with our listeners, what is that action that you recommend? Well, a very simple action is to set up a reward structure for completing a task. In other words, say, I will take myself out for lunch. After I've made three phone calls to potential clients, I will give myself a cup of coffee. And right. so what you do is you set up a reward structure. And once you make and complete this proposal for this client, you'll take your wife or husband out for dinner. So what you can do is in a fun way, train yourself by setting up a reward structure. You can even take a picture of it if you like and put it there. And then you say, I'm going to give myself that reward, but I will not give myself that reward until I have finished certain things. Right. And, uh, Get into the habit of just rewarding yourself. And many people do that. They take themselves away on a vacation once they have finished a major project. But you can have a simple, a, a good friend of mine from Australia, Alan Pete, he was talking about how each time you make a phone call, you get a sip of coffee or a yeah. sip of tea. And it sits in front, but you don't get it until you make the call. He knows all of his friends were all kind of talking and wasting time and so on. So he would come in, set the coffee down in front of him, smell steaming, beautiful, but he couldn't sip it until he called and made contact and spoke to someone. I love that. That's a very good way to get momentum. And we are far more motivated by our environment and incentive structures than we would like to believe. I think we all think we are so driven by our intellect. And yes, that's important, but we are also driven by the sensory incentives. So that's a great point. And I've read a lot of Alan Pace's books. Great to know that you guys are friends. Brian, let's talk a little bit about your most recent book and where can our viewers, if you're watching on YouTube, that's youtube.com forward slash Productive Insights, where can our viewers find out more about your book? Well, I'm happy to say that I uh, just got 100 copies in a box yesterday yeah. So uh, And so I have a couple here and a couple there. But the very best place is Amazon. You know, Amazon just basically accounts for most of the books. It's easy. It's cheap. It's quick. So that's where you get it. And it's called Eat That Frog for Students. And what it will do, just like Eat That Frog in general, what it will do is change your life. It will give you insights and ideas that will make you think about yourself and who you are 
and where you're going and what you want and what you'll have to do to get there, and you'll never be the same. But not only that, time is the primary tool of success. And what this does is that it gives you this tool for the rest of your life. You can now use this to achieve any goal that you want. Time is the primary tool or resource of accomplishment. And if you can control your time and manage your time, you own the future. And I'll tell you what else, Brian, if you can achieve your goals, it will bring a level of happiness into your life. It'll bring a level of contributing because really we aren't islands. We live in a community and one of the most important things I believe as a human is not to be the richest man in the grave or richest woman in the grave, but rather to be the person of greatest impact and have delivered the most value. So that's another important reason you would want to achieve your goals. So Amazon, can they get it on Kindle as well? Is it available on Kindle? Yes, you can get it on Kindle and download it so you can read it on your own computer or your own iPhone. And, And by the way, one of the things that every person wants is to reach the point where they don't worry about money. Now, yes. everybody, has, everybody has a different threshold, yes. but you have, to, you have to know that you can reach the point in your life where you don't worry about money. You're okay. Yes. A gentleman came up to me in, in my seminar, and I was talking about time and money. And he said, money, he said, is like sex. He was from Holland. When you have a sufficient quantity, you don't think about it. But when you don't have a sufficient quantity, you think of nothing else. That is so true. And by the way, that's a very good Dutch accent you have there. But I completely, I was actually thinking that just as you were speaking, that it is one of those things that in management they call a hygiene factor. You know, you need a certain amount of it to get by and you don't think about it beyond that amount, but I completely agree with you that if you don't have it, it does make your life miserable. So it is something that is essential up to a point. And then far beyond that point, it can become a burden depending on how you deal with it and depending on your mindset and so on and so forth. 70% of people, I believe, end up bankrupt about a year after they win the lottery, they get depression because they can't deal with the lifestyle changes. But if you're somebody who has a strong center and you have clear habits and you have clear goals, you're self-directed and you understand what you want out of life, then you're more likely to use that money, whether you win it in the lottery or whether you win it through hard work, you're likely to use it for the purposes that you would want it to be used rather than be in a very reactive cycle of using that money. Quick quick one-liner. I read a study of a group of women who worked in low-level jobs in this large company, and they pooled their money to buy lottery tickets. Uh And they hit one of the best lotteries. They won something like six or eight million dollars in one of those tickets. And then they got together and they said, what are we going to do with the money? Well, obviously, we divide it up. Uh, equally. But then somebody pointed out that most people who win the lottery, they lose it all because they just go completely off the board. And it's quite common because we go out of our self-concept level of income. And whenever we do, we do everything possible to get back. And I teach that. They said, okay, what we'll do is we'll take the money and we'll hire a lawyer and we'll put the money away for a year. And nobody will be able to touch it for a year, nor will they be able to encumber the money in any way. 
And then after a year, they came back. And after a full year, they'd had a chance to think about it and think about their families and what they really wanted and what was important. And then they parceled out the money. And those people allocated the money carefully. And it improved their lives, mostly forever. And I just thought of that when you mentioned that, how wonderful it is they allowed them their minds to rise up to the level of the money. Yes. And then, and then they, were, they were capable of, of making good decisions rather than yeah. going wild. Right. And that applies to so many things in life, doesn't it, Brian? Our phones, our possessions. It's okay as long as you own your possessions and your money and all these things. But when they start to own you, that's when it becomes a problem. And so it's important to have that level of mindfulness, that level of awareness, that, that centeredness, that focus on what are my goals? What do I want to achieve from life? What is it that I want to do in this life? And by writing down those 10 goals every day, you become more self-directed and developing that habit of writing down your goals daily is a very powerful idea. So thank you for sharing that with us, Brian. It was wonderful to have you on the Productive Insights podcast, and maybe we can have you back on again sometime. It would be a pleasure. I so much enjoy talking to you. You are an erudite man. In thank that you. You have, you have done your homework. You have, as I have, uh, all my life. I just love to read and learn. And obviously, it's, you're the same kind of person. And if we can get back together, I'd love to do it. Thank you, Brian. That means a lot to me. Uh, so yeah, uh, let's let's set it up. I'll organize something with Michelle, and let's we'll set something up. We'll create an excuse. I'm just finishing my 91st book, so I have wow. a, a, a lot of books that we can discuss. Yeah, and, uh, and you know what, Brian? Clearly, you do the work, and this is something Seth Godin talked about in episode 200. It's about showing up and doing the work, and I really respect that about you, your work ethic. Stephen King wrote a great book on writing, and he says, inspiration strikes every day at 9 a.m. when I sit down to write. And, <laughs> you know, the key is inspiration comes from action, not the other way around. That's right. That's right. I, that, that's very good. I, I read all of this material, and you're right. You, the words are, if you want to be a writer, just write. Yes. Yes. That's right. Uh, yes. Don't just sit down there. And just write. And even if you have to write, you know, uh, uh, all good dogs go to heaven. All good dogs go to heaven. All good dogs. Go. At a certain point, something happens, like starting an engine, and you start to write. It starts yeah. to come. You must discipline yourself to sit down, as you say, at a certain time every day, which I don't always follow. I hate yeah. just, but uh, just write, and uh, and it'll all come true. And read, just as you have done, read about writing and how writers write. I read and read and read and read and read the books on writing. I now teach how to write a book and get published. Right. Uh, and at one time, I couldn't write a paragraph. Wow, Brian, we could talk for hours. Look, I, I really enjoyed this conversation, and I'll set something up, and we'll have you back on.